0: The Tiger Tamer Who Went to See from History Extra charts the life of a remarkable Victorian, Britain's original long-distance wheelbarrow pedestrian. New episodes are out every Thursday or listen to the whole series
1: immediately ad-free by subscribing to History Extra Plus on Apple Podcasts or listening on historyextra.com. Before we get started, we want to tell you a bit about the sponsor of this week's History Extra podcast, Warner Hotels. If you're looking to escape to a picturesque corner of the UK for a few days, Warner Hotels has just the thing for you. Each hotel offers everything you could possibly need for the perfect weekend away. From unrivaled leisure facilities and inspiring live entertainment, to delicious dining experiences and plenty of history for you to uncover. If this sounds like your kind of getaway, Warner Hotels is now offering a series of exciting weekend packages in 2024. Each three-night stay is at one of three historic hotels, With dinner, bed, and breakfast included, plus a whole itinerary of fascinating talks and Q&As with a selection of BBC history experts, such as Tracy Borman, Susanna Lipscomb, and James Holland. So what are you waiting for? Book your break now at warnerhotels.co.uk.
2: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com.
5: Welcome to Salem, investigating the witch trials. Brought to you by History Extra, I'm Ellie Cawthorn. This is episode four. On the eve of the Salem Witch Trials, a powerful force was at play in the New England settlement. It influenced how the villagers saw their neighbours and gave shape to their fears about threats to their community. It determined not only their daily routine, but their whole outlook on life. If we're talking about societal influences on Salem, you'd be hard-pushed to think of one more pervasive than Puritanism. As historian of early America Kathleen M. Brown explained, The Salemites saw God's hand in everything. What happens on Earth is never far from God's plan.
6: That, uh, in fact, you can look all around you um, at illness, at drought, at disease, at the weather, at severe lightning storms, at eclipses, at freakish, unseasonal hailstorms, and see God Um, trying to send a
5: message, the hand of God in the world of human beings on earth. In order to understand why the witch trials broke out in Salem, we need to get to grips with the values that underpinned society there. And religion is a good place to begin. In fact, religion was the entire reason this community existed in the first place. Professor Marion Gibson
0: Because obviously the thing that set the American colonists apart, literally they went to the other side of the world because of it, was because they were godly people. They wanted to found their own branch of Christian religion, their own sect.
5: And they went there to be separate from other people so that they could do that. So let's look at this in a bit more detail. First of all, what exactly was Puritanism? This radical brand of Protestantism had emerged following the Reformation of the 16th century. The Puritans had splintered off because they felt that other forms of Protestantism hadn't gone far enough in doing away with the vestiges of Catholicism. They wanted to strip away anything that wasn't closely aligned with the Bible. Instead of turning to the riches and rituals of the church for reassurance, each Puritan should have their own personal intimate relationship with God. This compact, or covenant, would redeem them of their sins. And this earnest devotion should bleed into every aspect of life. Each member of the community was expected to pursue an austere lifestyle founded on moral rigor. And guiding them through all of this would be a highly valued and respected ministry, whose impassioned preaching drew directly on the scripture. So could it be that there was something about Puritanism in particular that left societies such as Salem more predisposed to fears of witchcraft? I asked Marion Gibson.
0: I think Puritan societies are particularly prone to witchcraft accusations. And you can see that in England as well. So the places where the American Puritans emigrated from, often places on the East Coast, like um, Ipswich, going up into the Midlands, into Northampton, Lincolnshire, those were also quite Puritanical communities and there are a lot of witchcraft accusations there. So I think one of the things that's motivating people is not just basic religion, as it were, but a kind of fundamentalist strand of Christian religion, Protestant religion.
5: So what could explain this correlation between Puritanism and witch trials? One thing that Marion highlighted was the fact that Puritanism placed a strong emphasis on insiders and outsiders. This was a community that had been persecuted before. So part of a good Puritan's duty was to seek out anyone threatening to undermine their holy mission and subdue them
0: and those people are on the lookout for other people who they don't like they think they're ungodly so they stand out in their community because they're doing things that the puritans don't like um you know, they're behaving immorally for example perhaps they're troublesome to puritans in the community perhaps they oppose them perhaps they're you know they have an illegitimate child if they if they're a woman um they they stand out in various ways and the puritans are critical of them and where you've got a society where people are set against 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 each other in that way, you do have this sense of kind of culture war. The the Puritans are. they're having an early version of a culture war if you like and they're looking for people to persecute not because that's what they think they're doing they think they're doing this because they're godly and worthy and god wants them to find evil people and get rid of them they they want to drive out from their community people who they think are 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 rotten are bad for their community so it comes out of this idea of binary opposites you're either with god or against him Um, and puritan communities are particularly prone to thinking in that way and salem is one of
5: I asked Marion about how all of this played out in Puritans' attitudes to policing behaviour in their communities more generally. Puritans go a bit further than the Bible, which is quite interesting, isn't it? They, they they put down a whole
0: variety of laws, which are outside of the usual norms of, of British law, English law, as it was in the period. Um, and they'd really try to ban everything that they think, A, the Bible thought was a bad thing, but also sometimes that they themselves thought was a bad thing as well. So, for example, they take the Ten Commandments as a model. Um, and in Massachusetts, there was a law against adultery that said you should should be executed for committing adultery because that's what the bible said but they have laws against all sorts of things you know you you can be executed for a very wide range of crimes some of which we we wouldn't see as crimes at all now so you know adultery theft as in english law at the time um certain kinds of of speaking against the bible doing certain things on a sunday all of these are things that they write into their law codes it's very much about conformity. It's about being a good Puritan and following all the rules literally, religiously. It's about doing all the right things, saying all the right things, hanging out with the right people, not transgressing. It's a kind of police state in its way. I mean, one of the ways that people have thought about it in contemporary society, which can be a bit dangerous, but sometimes it is quite a helpful analogy, um, is is the idea of a police state, a totalitarian state where where people are policed in every aspect of their lives, including what they think. The Puritans are some of the early people who think about that as being a good idea, that they want their neighbours to be thinking the right things as well as doing the right things. And it's, of course, really easy to transgress against that. So the Puritans made a lot of enemies for themselves, some of whom they've been accused of witchcraft.
5: So Puritanism may have predisposed people to being especially interested in what was going on, not only in their neighbours' homes, but also in their neighbours' heads. The impression Marion gives is one of a community constantly on the lookout for threats. And Puritanism could lead to a heightened awareness not only of the sins of others, but also of yourself. Throughout the trials, several people confessed to absolutely extraordinary sins, from attending satanic baptisms to praying to the devil for help with household chores. Could the constant soul-searching advocated by Puritanism have had anything to do with this? Stacey Schiff, author of The Witches, Salem, 1692, told me more. I think the question of the confession is is really fascinating
4: and really, it's such a rich vein. Um, First off, that kind of confession, that kind of soul-searching, is part and parcel of, of Puritanism. It comes very naturally to someone who was raised in this community who would have entered the church with a wholesale confession as to his sins. It was very hard for anyone who didn't have the words guilty conscience in his or her vocabulary to figure out how to deal with some of these things. So, you get people not sure if they have some evil power because they've had an unthinkable thought or they've done a slightly untoward thing and they don't know where to put that guilt and that shame. So, that when they are then pressed, they're not entirely certain. I mean, you know, there's so much written on the subject of torture, and this is really psychological torture. They're not certain how to approach those moments.
5: I think that Stacey raises an important point here, because if we understand how the Puritan mindset and Puritan ministers were constantly urging congregants into self-reflection, it's easier to understand how you could come to doubt yourself. The distinction between good and evil was binary in this mindset. As Marion Gibson said, you were either for God or you were against him. And as Salem's minister, Reverend Paris, told his congregation, we are either saints or devils. The scripture gives no medium. In this climate, you can see how one tiny misstep, or perhaps one niggling doubt, might lead you to believe that you had been corrupted. Marion Gibson
0: because they live in such a religious
5: society, they're told all the time that
0: there are witches out there um, and that the devil is constantly trying to get them, trying to trip them up, trying to harm them, do them physical harm, do them mental harm, you know, give them suicidal
5: thoughts, give them ungodly thoughts, make them blaspheme. And Kathleen Brown suggests that we can even see religious frameworks mirrored in the accusations, most notably in the idea of covenants. Salem was one of the
6: oldest... Um, settlements in Massachusetts Bay. It has one of the oldest church covenants. Um, Puritans use church covenants. Interestingly, um, they're almost like contracts between members of a congregation to each other, but also with God and to an established minister. Um, It then had an echo in some of the witchcraft accusations um, where people accused of witchcraft were accused of um, supplanting that um, you know, sacred covenant with fellow church members and with God, with a uh, a contractor covenant with the devil. So interestingly, contractual language and covenanting are very much part of a Puritan way of thinking about life in North America.
1: Time for another quick chat about this week's sponsor, Warner Hotels. If you want to get away in 2024, why not book a weekend package at one of Warner's most historic hotels? There's Little Coat House, which is a stunning Tudor Manor in Hungerford. Studley Castle, a beautiful 19th century building in Warwickshire. Or Home Lacey, a huge Herefordshire mansion that was once visited by Charles I. Whichever location you choose, you'll be able to enjoy a whole weekend of live talks from your favourite historians during your stay. Find out more and book your break now at
2: warnerhotels.co.uk. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
3: Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase, every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply.
5: So we've spoken about the role of belief in creating a susceptible mindset and shaping the narrative of accusations. But there were also religious factors at play, in Salem specifically, that could have caused additional tension. By the end of the 17th century, the face of Puritanism in the area was changing these were no longer the intensely ardent believers who'd sailed to the other side of the world for their faith. Kathleen Brown. Now, in some ways, this
6: crisis had been unfolding
5: for a while
6: um, because the children of the initial settlers were just not as religiously zealous as their parents had been. Um, And so there already was a sense that Puritans of, by the 1690s weren't quite the Puritans of the
5: 1630s and 1640s. And the threat of pious Puritanism being diluted was exacerbated by demographic change in the area. There was also the presence of
6: Quakers um, who challenged um, Puritan spaces, Puritan theology, Puritan spirituality. Um, But there was also the influx of non-Puritans into the area. And so, by the time of the Salem outbreaks, in addition to all these uncertainties, um, there was also a a large number of people, even within Salem Town and Salem Village, who were actually not members of the church. So, you know, roughly 25% are church members— About 75% are not church members. So there's a kind of a dwindling population of of Puritans who are really um, pious Puritans, who are really actively professing Puritans
5: and church members. And tensions were also at play within the New England ministry, messily entangled with the politics of the Massachusetts Bay Area. The Crown had revoked Massachusetts Bay's charter in
6: 1684 and put Massachusetts Bay under the rule of a larger um, political unit known as the Dominion of New England and under an appointed royal governor, Sir Edmund Andros. Um, And this was very unpopular. Andros was connected to the Anglican Church, the English church from which Puritans had separated. Um, I mean, they didn't want a full and formal separation, but they believed in their settlement of Massachusetts Bay that their mission was to purify the church, that to, to lead purer lives, to have churches that were composed of people who were um, saints, that is, elected by God um, to be saved. Um, they didn't really want to be in churches with people who were not saved. Um, And from the beginning, the New England experiment had been about a very tight connection between church and state. So with Andros's appointment as the royal governor over the dominion of New England and his strong connections to the Anglican church, there was a sense of a crisis of certainly
5: the future of uh, a kind of theocratic rule in Massachusetts. Andros, rumoured to be in league with French Catholics to the north was ousted in 1689 and messages were sent back to a representative in England to negotiate a new charter. In the winter of 1691 to 2, the winter directly before Salem's witch trials, the settlers back in New England were left in a kind of limbo, waiting for news from across the Atlantic. Religious stability in the area felt fragile. Against this backdrop, the church in Salem was undergoing a crisis of its own. Remember how Paris's appointment as minister had divided the community. There had been debates over his compensation, including that bitter dispute over firewood. And many in the community saw him as hard bargaining and confrontational. And it's important to remember how significant and widely felt a division like this would be, as the church played a foundational role in communities like Salem. Marion Gibson The church is absolutely central to these communities. So they're self-governing
0: in their church structures. And that's something that they went to the New World to get. That was one of the things that the Puritans really wanted. They wanted to be able to run their own religious affairs. So it's not as it was back home where a minister is appointed by someone else outside of the village community, usually maybe the lord of the manor or maybe even the king and his ministers, the the, the livings, as they called them, of English churches were usually owned by some power powerful lordling or somebody who was outside of that village group. So they get a minister imposed upon them. But in the new world, as they thought of it, in, in every way, they get new powers. So they get to pick their own minister. They can appoint him. They can interview different candidates. They can elect him if they want to do so. Um, and that's a really potent thing for them. And because of that, the church is everything to them. It's The minister is their, their official, their elected official. The, the people who work with him in the church, church who who are the elders of the church have a lot more power than they would have had in English communities to determine things like laws and doctrine the church is is a kind of parliament among other things it's you know Americans have the tradition of town meetings this is where
5: they would happen they would happen in the church it's the hub of everything so the implications of appointing a divisive minister like Paris went far beyond having to sit through a sermon that you weren't that interested in we've spoken about how deeply felt issues around the church were and fears about the perversion of proper Puritan values. And all of these issues become especially interesting when we consider the case of a man who would be branded the ringleader of Salem's satanic coven, George Burroughs, a former Salem minister, no less. Burroughs had been appointed 12 years earlier, in 1680, and his three-year tenure had not won him many friends. We'll go into the details of his disputes with the community in a later episode. But for now, it's enough to know that he was not remembered fondly.
4: From the little we know, um, George Burrows was not a good man. Um, George Verroes is clearly an abusive husband. He's clearly um, someone who plays mind games with his several several subsequent wives. He also fell out with the community, although you could be a perfectly lovely uh, minister and have that problem in this particular village. Um, he's he's made a great number of enemies. He's also proved to be, and this is a, a sort of reverse of what I've just said, um, a remarkably heroic figure on the frontier. He moves to what is today present-day Maine, and he protects his parishioners there against a horrific Indian onslaught. And he, therefore, in a funny way, I think shows up some of the Massachusetts elders um, in his heroism.
5: Even though he'd left Salem some nine years earlier, Burroughs had clearly left his mark on the community. On the 4th of May, 1692, he was arrested in Maine and brought back to his former home to stand trial. And this wasn't a case of just one or two accusations. 30 people testified against Burroughs at his trial, with eight women who confessed to witchcraft, confirming that he was indeed in league with Satan. Alongside having superhuman strength, Burroughs was said to have persuaded women into becoming witches. And perhaps most notably of all, in a demonic subversion of his former role, he was identified as a witch's ringleader who presided over satanic Sabbaths.
4: No one ever questions why would George Burroughs be officiating at the satanic Sabbath. It seems to go without saying. There's such a paucity of evidence with Burroughs, and yet he's clearly so central to, um, if not the outbreak, then to how the story gets told.
5: Despite his protestations that there neither are nor ever were witches, Burroughs was sentenced to death. On the 19th of August, he was taken with four others to the place of execution. Seeing a minister on the gallows was unnerving for such a devoted crowd, and Burroughs compounded their discomfort when just moments before his hanging, he did something supposedly impossible for a witch. He flawlessly recited the Lord's Prayer. As the crowd floundered, Boston Minister Cotton Mather stepped in to reassure them that Burroughs had never been ordained, and in fact, there was no better disguise for the devil than as, quote, an angel of light. Burroughs' fate was sealed. Even the
4: people who ultimately will write against the trials will never defend George Burroughs. And Cotton Mather, who is the minister, the young minister who writes the most explicit case of the trials, will not even mention his name. And his history, Burroughs is GB. He's never mentioned by name. So it's almost as if he does exert some sort of supernatural power over people. He's clearly a very divisive figure and a very powerful one.
5: In his subverted role of Satan's unholy minister, Burroughs clearly touched a nerve. His case is such an interesting one, because it reveals how religion was foundational to everything in Puritan society, especially the way that people thought about witchcraft. Supernatural accusations drew on religious frameworks. The Satanic Sabbath and the covenants with the devil were a dark mirror image of the Puritans' own practices. The strength of feeling against Burroughs also exposes the raw fear about the degradation or even unholy subversion of Puritan values. Because what could be more terrifying than a satanic minister? Next episode, we'll be investigating the world of the supernatural and asking what made people see flying witches and translucent cats? And could the devil really appear as a fast-moving turtle? Salem Investigating the Witch Trials is made by the team behind BBC History Magazine and the History Extra podcast. It's written and produced by me, Ellie Cawthorn. Production and sound engineering is by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman, and Brittany Colley. Fact-checking by Gisette Reeves. Our editor is Rob Attar, and our content director is Dave Musgrove. For more history podcasts on a variety of subjects, head to historyextra.com forward slash podcast.
1: Before you go, one final word about this week's sponsor, Warner Hotels. If you fancy a break in 2024, you can now choose from three fantastic weekend packages at some of the most historic Warner Hotels. For instance, Littlecote House is set in a stunning location in Hungerford, which has played host to Romans, a civil war army and the planning of the D-Day landings. Meanwhile, Studley Castle in Warwickshire was used as a training camp for the Women's Land Army during the World Wars. Find out more and book your break now at warnerhotels.co.uk.